Hello, and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Michelle Friedman from YCT Rabbinical School. And I'm Hody Nemes, a second-year rabbinical student at Chovave. And in each episode, we take a psychological insight and look into it, an insight that we glean from the Torah reading of the week. Also, we use a story, a story that's a composite of different sources, such as my clinical work, experience of rabbis in the field, emails, questions that might come in, but all that illustrate the theme that we're talking about. And today, we begin the book of Bamidbar. And what a book it is, the book of Bamidbar. Until now, the Torah has taken a pretty clear narrative arc, I'd say, from the creation of the world to a, a emerging family and people coming out of a deep challenge of slavery, receiving the Torah, and moving into the desert. And like every good story, there has to be some challenge, some murkiness, some complications that come up, and that is this book. In this book, we learn about what it means to journey, to go on a physical and a spiritual journey. And uh, whereas Leviticus is all about the rules, Bamidbar, Numbers, is all about living with the rules. And they are going to have to try to leave their slave mentality that is so hard to get rid of. And not everybody's going to make it to the end of the book. Right. So our theme today is going to be continuing on after loss. The story is about a man we're going to call Leon and a woman, Eliza. Leon, who is 74, and he's a recent widower. His wife, Renee, died three months ago after a long, debilitating illness, during which Leon cared for his wife with devotion. At the urging of his adult children, some weeks after uh, the Shiva and the Shloshim, Leon starts to attend a support group for people who have, who are older people who are single. And there he meets Elisa whose husband died in a car crash two years before. The two of them, Leon and Eliza, start keeping company. And after a few months, now this is getting closer to a year after Leon's wife passed away, they decide to tell their respective families that they are thinking about going on vacation together. And they're even thinking about getting married. They're quite surprised at the mixed reactions from their collective children. A couple of the kids, and these are all adults, are supportive, but one of Leon's daughters is absolutely horrified that her dad can get over her mom. I mean, after all, they were married for 50-something years, and one of Elisa's sons is worried that Leon is after his mother's substantial financial assets. So consider how you would approach this situation of some chaos entering or some uncertainty entering the hitherto solid and uh, steady family dynamic. Now that's actually a theme of this week's Parsha, Bamidbar, which is all about orderly families and tribes sitting and camping in a perfect pattern around the Mishkan, the tabernacle. This portion does not have stories in it, mostly. It's about where the tribes of Israel camp, how many people are in each tribe. It's like a giant census bureau is is described in this this Parsha. 
But there is one moment where a story is alluded to that we haven't seen in a few weeks, and that is the story of Nadav and Avihu, a mysterious and tragic story that we first heard about in Parshat Shmini and later in Acharimot, both in Leviticus. I'm going to read the reference to that story in our Parsha in Bamidbar chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. Ela Shmot Bene Aharon, Hakohanim Hameshuchim Asher Mile Yadam Lechahen, Vayamot Nadava Vihulifne Hashem, Behakrivam Esh Zara Lifne Hashem, Bemidbar Sinai, Uvanim Lohayulahem, Vayahahen Elazar Vitamar Alpne Aharon Avihem. These are the names of Aaron's sons, the anointed priests, who filled their hand to function as priests. And Adav and Avihu died in front of God when, the, when they brought forward unfitting fire in front of God in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no sons. And Eleazar and Itamar functioned as priests before Aaron, their father. So most of the time, people are caught up in discussion about what did Nadav and Avihu do wrong that got them burnt up. Our discussion is going to focus on the people who remain and go on, Eleazar and Itamar. And and the text is interestingly silent here about how they go on, which invites us to speculate about their emotional states, their father and their uncle, Moses. Now, before we go on with the vignette, I want to make it clear that in no way are we suggesting that Leon and Eliza, the surviving spouses in our story, did anything wrong, the way the text suggests that there's something wrong that Nadab and Avihu did. But they are surviving, they have life ahead of them, and they need to carry on. And there are complex burdens for people who continue, like Aaron, Eleazar, Itamar, and in our story, Leon and Eliza. So it seems to me that Leon, the father, and his children may have different ideas about how to mourn. That's right. Particularly over the long term. So in your experience, does this come up often that there are different styles or approaches to mourning? Absolutely. And in Leon's situation, his wife had been ill with a, with a most likely fatal illness for a long time. So he knew for quite a while that the end was coming. And so there's a kind of early morning or earlier morning that he probably went through. And he was eager to resume life again and to get back into some kind of more vibrant, happy kind of phase, which is actually a tribute to his resilience, to his capacity for living life more fully. So some people, people who have a history of resilience, generally go on to utilize those aspects of resilience again after loss. Some people, however, retreat completely and can't find it in themselves to get on with their lives. They feel guilty about, about that desire and sometimes they feel so overwhelmed by sadness, by loneliness, by feeling that part of themselves have gone, is gone, that they can spend all, most or all of their time in a protracted mourning. Now, our vignette is about a 
about children losing their parent and a man losing his spouse. But Nadav and Avihu were brothers and, and a son. So how, how does mourning for a, a child or a sibling differ from mourning for a parent? Something I think that's always uh, hard to talk about is sort of comparative suffering. So we're not doing that. But we are acknowledging, we should acknowledge, that in the natural course of life, we expect that parents will die before their children. For parents to bury their children is an excruciating experience. It is a reversal of the way of nature, of what people expect, and it is a great tragedy. Similarly, I think when people lose their peers, their siblings, it's extremely painful because it's one's own generation or one's own partner, one's spouse. So the threat of mortality, of loss, is much closer to oneself. And Michelle, I'm thinking of back in the portion of Shmini, how right after Nadav and Avihu die, their father, Aharon, it says Vayidom Aharon, very famously, that he was silent, whereas Moshe, Moses is goes into action, hub of activity. Yeah, it's it's the day of the the inauguration of the tabernacle. He's running around. He's giving orders. He even criticizes Aaron for not properly taking care of and eating one of the sacrifices. And and at that point, Aaron actually does respond and challenges Moses and says, "Do you really think God wants me to be doing that today? Or or in essence, do you really think God cares that I've?" I've done, I've made a little mistake on the day that my children have died. So I wonder if we're seeing two, those two approaches that you mentioned. Right. I think we see that in a number of other biblical stories where there are uh, situations of loss and there is an imperative to go on. Right. Like Noah. Noah gets Absolutely. famously gets drunk after the flood. Doesn't seem that he can quite move on. He's overwhelmed by the tragedy, and his first response is to try to blot it out. And after that, he does pick up, presumably, with a lot of chaos in his immediate family and goes on. We also have the story of Lot, and that is not a successful story of coming back after loss. Lot is a completely passive character in that story. He can't come up with any kind of forward-thinking action, and it's actually his daughters who take charge. That's right. Now, bringing us back to our vignette, Michelle, the scenario we've described, the children are upset that their father has moved on so quickly. So how would you... And uh, both their mother, the Elisa's children are upset too. And Elisa's children are upset too. So if you were counseling them, if you were maybe a rabbi or someone in their life, how would you talk to them about this? I think it's important to acknowledge that there may be reasons that it's not a good idea. Uh, the reason that came up in this vignette was a concern about financial motivation uh, for marriage. And that certainly is a reasonable thing to think about and to protect vulnerable people, elderly and otherwise, from potential exploitation or such. So, for example, in this regard, we're in favor of the halachic prenup with all marriages, certainly a prenup with second marriages 
can be extremely helpful in alleviating a lot of these concerns. I see. And are there red flags that you would look for in a marriage or potential partnership like this? I think when there's big discrepancies in characteristics between the partners where the match seems really highly improbable, one should think about, not be certain about, not jump to conclusions. Is there some kind of secondary gain in this marriage for the less uh, endowed, the less uh, not necessarily wealthy, but the less established person who's less powerful, eager. even less powerful, the person who's needier. Uh, you know, why is if let's say it's a much younger, often the case is a much younger woman, uh, maybe from a very disparate background, that one wants to think about their financial motivations. Is the surviving spouse so desperately lonely that he or she? just can't imagine going on and the prospect of dating and sorting through is just too overwhelming. So the first reasonable person that seems to come along seems like a great idea, but that can be regretted later. And we've certainly seen that where there are very brief second marriages uh, in situations where people felt so desperately lonely that they make a poor choice. But something that I've seen that can really be helpful for people going through loss are support groups. I am a tremendous believer in niche support groups, particularly in situations of loss. And something that just came up in my clinical psychiatric practice today, which I found very touching, which is a different kind of loss, is a young woman in her early 30s who's pregnant with her first child and is very heartbroken that her own mother is suffering from early Alzheimer's. And the mother, who is an extremely competent, loving uh, star of the family, is really not able to be present to support this young woman and is less likely to be present when the baby is going to be born to be part of this new family's life. And the mother-to-be is mourning that. Her mother is alive but she's becoming progressively lost. And one of the things that I suggested was that this young woman look into finding a peer support group through one of the dementia organizations or perhaps motherhood organizations. But that's something I want to leave our audience with, that peer support, in fact, that's where in our story, Leon and Elisa met, can be extremely beneficial in all kinds of ways. Mm -hmm. 